Welcome to Perspectives. I'm Kate Bastinelli from the Greater New York Hospital Association, and this is the first podcast in our three-part series on hospital cybersecurity threats. I'm joined by my GNYHA colleagues, Jenna Mandel-Ricci and Zainab Sumer-King. We started recording this series in late 2019 with the goal of exploring the key roles involved in hospital cybersecurity. Zainab, who is a critical member of our cyber team, was involved in our initial recordings. Over the last few years, we've provided cybersecurity programming, technical support, and education to our members. Our approach has always been to work in a multidisciplinary manner, urging hospitals to think beyond information technology. One of our goals is to offer our members a space to exchange information. So we saw this podcast series as a way to highlight the need for this approach to cybersecurity. We began planning by reaching out to a few key members at the forefront of cybersecurity planning and response, not just within their hospitals, but also on a state and national level. And then COVID-19 happened. While the critical focus of our member hospitals was taking care of patients, COVID-19 brought its own cybersecurity challenges. Huge increases in the use of telehealth and large portions of staff working from home created new demands on IT and introduced new cybersecurity vulnerabilities. Hospitals in New York saw an unfortunate bump in the number of scams and ransomware attempts, with hackers trying to take advantage of thinned resources. To counter these threats, our hospitals and health systems once again had to bring many different stakeholders to the table. That's Jenna, who headed up GNYHA's COVID-19 response. So we went back to the drawing board. The first two episodes will cover the cyber world pre-COVID. These interviews are still relevant, maybe even more so in a way. The principles that govern cybersecurity preparedness, response, and cyber hygiene remain the same during the pandemic as they were pre-pandemic. The first two episodes will discuss the need for inventory management, adequate risk assessments, encryption, and educating your staff on cyber pitfalls. And the third will cover the changes to the threat landscape during and after the pandemic's peak in New York City. In today's episode, Zainab interviews Chris Couchet, the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Albany Medical Center. Let's get started. So Chris, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Albany Medical Center? Sure. Um, So I started at Albany Med back in 1993 as the biomedical engineer for the organization. At that time, cybersecurity really wasn't a uh, a topic. It wasn't really a uh, an industry at the time. Uh, very little being done within healthcare. When HIPAA came around, that changed a lot of things for uh, healthcare and, and in the hospitals a- across the country. And in 2004, I was made the information security officer. And at that time, that was purely around HIPAA. The organization's grown. We've, we have an academic medical center. Uh, we have a college, the Albany Medical College. We've now affiliated with two other hospitals. We also are in pending another hospital affiliating with the organization, and, and our system is continuing to grow throughout the upstate region. That's a lot of change. There's also been a lot of change in the outside world, outside of Albany Medical Center. We've moved much farther away from HIPAA, being the only concern or priority as it pertains to cybersecurity, what are your greatest worries currently related to hospital cybersecurity and for your whole health system? I think the real issues are the things that are evolving, the things that we don't know about. We know about a lot of things, but 
there's always a change in the cybersecurity landscape. As the technology changes, so do the threats and the vulnerabilities to that technology, whether it is the traditional IT technologies, your computers, your end-use devices, or it's the other hospital equipment that is becoming much more prevalent in our hospitals now, at least at the provider level, are medical devices. Medical devices are starting to outpace traditional IT devices two to one. So my hospital, my main medical center, has about 10,000 IT devices. We have about 20,000 plus medical devices, and at least half of those are on our network. So does that change how you strategically approach cybersecurity? How, how has it evolved over time? I think it changes in, in a couple of different ways. It changes not only what you need to do technology-wise, but it needs a change at the organization level at the people level, at the process level, because now you're not just talking about traditional IT staff. You're talking about your biomedical engineers and those folks that are now key to more than half of your inventory. The problem that we have is that we have two different types of educational and experiential sets of people, right? The biomeds and the IT folks. And I represent both, so I have a a lucky world, I guess, in that I see both worlds and I have some control over both worlds. And it really requires that we bring the skill sets of both into some type of blend. And I'm not advocating that we eliminate one or the other or that we consume one or the other. I don't think that's necessary for that blending to occur. But there is an overlap of the skill sets that needs to happen and get brought together in order to effectively manage not only our IT devices, but now that emerging class of not only biomedical devices, but IoT devices, the Internet of Things devices. Okay, so what does that look like in a hospital or health system where they're not lucky enough to have one person who can cover both the cybersecurity side of things and biomedical engineering? What are some best practices around coordinating or mixing those skill sets, as you said? Number one is always leadership, right? Leadership is, is key to establishing the relationships and establishing the agreements on how you're going to handle those types of devices. I think the way we approach it is that regardless of whether it's a biomed device or a traditional IT device, the rules of the game apply to both. So the same set of rules have to apply to the entirety of your inventory, regardless of where they sit managerially. So however a hospital decides to break that leadership role up, to break the managerial role up, to break the cost base up, however you break it up in an organization, it's really key that the same rules apply across the board. Because otherwise, you're going to have a fractured system. You'll have devices that are handled differently than our traditional IT space. And quite frankly, our, our IT folks are experts at cybersecurity. They have that core set of competencies And our biomeds are expert at patient safety for medical devices and and understanding how devices are used within the healthcare setting. That's their expertise. So you really have to have that melding from a leadership perspective. And again, it doesn't mean that you have to combine departments, but you have to have leadership that agrees how you're going to handle all the devices across the medical center or across the hospital. Yeah, that's... Easier said than done. It is. (laughs) But really, really important. So obviously, medical devices are of huge importance for a health system. What are 
some other concerns, though. What are your other priorities as the CISO for your health system that, so to speak, keep you up at night? Medical devices are are absolutely, and, and IoT devices, I think, are the emerging threat that's out there, or the emerging vulnerability that we are facing in, in healthcare. And the reason that's the case is because they're a little different technology-wise than traditional desktops, laptops, printers, things like that. They're designed differently. They don't typically speak the same type of communication languages that our traditional IT devices speak. And because of that, our traditional IT tool sets can't visualize, can't manage medical devices like we can a traditional IT device. So it's really causing the need for an emerging tool set to look at how medical devices are presenced on your network, how are they acting, who are they talking to, what are they running protocol-wise, what are they running application-wise, are they doing the, the right and normal things that you would expect a device to do? As an example, if I have an infusion pump on my network and I see that it's talking to a country outside of the United States, we have a problem. Probably, we have a problem. And we know what a device should act like. And the emerging, the emerging uh, industry that's coming out right now is, is really about anomaly detection. So we need those types of tool sets to manage and visualize our medical devices in a way that is just not capable right now with traditional IT tool sets. You mentioned leadership earlier, and there's obviously hospital leadership, and then there's other departments outside of IT and even biomedical engineering that will, in the event of a threat or an attack, become involved. If you could advise a group of hospital CEOs and also maybe other leaders um, of one thing they could do better to secure their facilities, what would that be? What's the one silver bullet for the greatest bang for your buck? All right. So technically, I'll I'll talk about the technical piece. I, I Honestly, I believe the most the most impressive and impactful technology that anybody can put in place right now based on the vulnerabilities and threats for us, it was multi-factor authentication. Hands down, across the board, multi-factor authentication has the capability of stopping email compromises dead in their tracks for the most part. From a non-technical perspective, I think the, the biggest thing that our leadership can do in the healthcare industry is make sure that there's an awareness. And I speak of it in a little different sense because I grew up in the JACO world. I grew up in the Joint Commission world in that, you know, I, I grew up in healthcare ever since I was, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid starting out in healthcare. And Joint Commission and that process, that that culture of safety, that, that DNA, it's almost like DNA that the Joint Commission kind of becomes in your, in your healthcare life. If we could get security, cybersecurity, to be that DNA, another strand of DNA that runs through, so that it doesn't always become a special request. It doesn't always become, hey, I've got one to cry and I need money, or hey, I've got this cyber threat going on and I need money, or I need you to do something. If we could get to the point where our organizations just consider cybersecurity as another strand of DNA that has to be done, I think that would be... That would be such a great, I don't know if it's an end goal, but I think that would be such a substantial milestone that we could achieve as an industry. Yeah, just an innate part of doing healthcare business in that's right. the world. That's right. <laughs> right. No, that's great advice. And so 
that's all within the hospital. But obviously, in the event of an attack, there are external entities that would become involved. How can your external partners, law enforcement, FDA, us, Greater New York Hospital Association, federal agencies, and others most effectively support you both as you prepare and in the event of an attack? So let me break it down. I think you'll find that the law enforcement agencies, again, above, I would say, at the state level, at the federal level, are all very engaged, are all willing to engage if you ask them to. You know, they can bring resources and they can bring competencies and intelligence that you may not otherwise be able to get. So I think establishing a relationship with your, you know, especially with your local FBI organization is key for any, for any organization. From an industry perspective, whether it's the FDA, whether it's any of the other industry organizations or, or social groups, whatever it may be, I think we need to push as an industry, we need to push for standardization of cybersecurity requirements and specifications. And, and there is a push now in, in the country with the FDA at the at the federal level to get more standardized understandings with our vendors and with our organizations, our provider organizations, of what is it that a medical device needs from a base level of security? What are the things that we don't have control over as an end user that we rely on our manufacturers and our government organizations, our regulatory bodies, to enforce and to ensure. And when we have a lack of those things or where there's a gap, then it's up to the providers to have to implement all of these uh, security measures and and mitigating strategies and, and what have you. So if we could move that ball to really look at our medical devices as something different, as something that's susceptible and vulnerable to the same threats that our computers are. And that's a big ask. And, and, and the reason it's a big ask is look at, the, look at the life cycle of a medical device compared to a traditional desktop. Most people are flipping desktops three to five years. A traditional medical device, an IV pump, seven to 10 years, maybe more, you know, depending on your uh, ability to replace. So we need to leverage all of our power as providers and as industry colleagues to really push that meter to a point where we're comfortable and and where we're at least getting a basic level of protection. In the next episode, Jenna will interview Dr. Mark Jarrett, Senior Vice President and Chief Quality Officer and Associate Chief Medical Officer at Northwell Health. Until then, this has been Perspectives. Perspectives.